Hi, and welcome to The Literary Sipper. I'm Amber Beattie Hill, your host, and today is the first podcast of a new year. So happy new year to all of you. And I usually start the new year with the roundup of what I read last year in 2023, but I haven't gotten it together yet to get my thoughts together on that subject as I just finished Rick Rubin's A Creative Life, but I think I'm going to count that in terms of January 1st, 2024, rather than the last book of 2023. But anyway, in any case, I highly recommend it. But in general, I'll be back next week with a roundup of what I read in 2023 with some highlights and hopefully some suggestions for your reading life um, in the upcoming year. But what I wanted to start this year with, probably one of the most requested podcast episodes people wanted me to do, and that's about reading with your teenager and what it means to have these teenagers in the house and when are kids ready for certain books and should you share your favorite books with them? Um, How do you get them to love reading? And all of the questions that you may have when it comes to having these large animals in your space and you want to have something to share with them, to talk about with them. And reading and books for me is an easy way to connect with everyone and even your teenager. And it is a sad day when your child no longer wants you to read to them. I can remember both of those days very vividly with my own children. And I can remember the last time I was allowed to snuggle up with them and read to them. And they let me do it for a very, very long time. So I'm very happy about that. It was so integrated into our nighttime routine. And even to the point where my older son would just grab his own book and just flop on my bed and read, and we'd read next to each other. That became kind of part of his nighttime routine. And it pretty much ends when they get a phone. That that pretty much ends. And even if we take the phone away from them and at a certain time of night, it is also this great symbolic severing, in a way, of your life being integrated in theirs in a very intimate way. And you are now an observer in a lot of ways. But books are are something that can get you to those deep conversations that you long to have with your teenager when it feels like they're having their own life outside of you and it's harder to talk to them. You don't know who you're going to meet on any given afternoon. It may be someone who looks a lot like the little boy or girl that you knew. And then it's an And in the same week, it could be somebody totally different and they're trying on a new guise or a new way of being and you have to be prepared for that. But I find that reading together or at least a love of reading and fostering a love of reading in your child can help you talk about difficult subject matter or deep subject matter in a way that's less personal so that you're not asking them about their life you are talking about a character or you're talking about an author or you're talking about a story and what it is about those emotional truths that you see and that you're curious about whether they see them too. And the nighttime routines change. And what I saw recently is this quote where it says, when your teenager shows up in your room 
at night, you need to treat it with the same prescience that you did when your infant cried for you in the middle of the night. So when they show up and you're ready for bed because you're tired and they are ready to talk, try to fight through that tiredness so that you can be a receptive listener for them because they are coming to you for that energy. And I can't stay up as late as I can, as I used to. And so I am always looking for ways to connect with them. And bookshelves and your bookshelves can become interesting to them at this time period too. I find my son kind of looking at my bookshelves, wondering about certain books, asking questions about certain books. And I think that that comes with this desire to be known not that they want to know me, but they want to know the world and that your bookshelves are a key to that, that world for them. And I think that the other idea about reading with your teenager that's so important is that we talk a lot on this channel about reading with a friend and how that can bring people together, either through a, a formal book club or just reading with a friend that you, you both decide you're going to read the same book um, at the same time together. Treat your teenager as you would your friend in this way. I mean, I, I often say to mine, I'm not your friend, I'm your mother. Um, but in this way, if you can share a book the way you would share a book with a friend, and say, hey, do you want to read this? I'll get the same copy and we can read it together and talk about it, especially if they are making the choice, if they have ownership of that choice. That's a really special moment. I know that when my son read The Hate You Give, which is a brilliant book and and also a, a great movie. I did not see the movie, um, but he did and told me it was great and it was just as good as the novel by Angie Thomas. But I did read the book. Because he said to me, without words, he just left it on my nightstand for me. And he said, I think you'll like this, Mom. And that was enough for me. And it really opened up a door in that eighth grade year, that kind of last year before high school, as a means of communication with him, that we could communicate through books. And so I know when I read The Midnight Library, Matt Haig's book, I left him that in, on his night shelf after I had finished with it and said, I really think you'll like this. And he read it. And he gave me the gift of being able to do that for him, of trading books and having this language that we can share so deeply that when we go out to dinner and we, you know, have these moments without phones that sometimes the intimacy is too bright and it's sometimes really hard to know what you want to say to your teenager. I, I want to tell him I love him a million times, but they don't want to hear that. <laughs> they don't want to hear your rawness or your vulnerability. They, it's, it's too much for them to hold and nor should they hold. I think I would have cringed if my mom did that to me. Certainly if my father did that to me. Um, so we talk about books and we talk about the families in the stories. And we then talk about what it was like for me in high school and what it's like for him in high school. 
it does naturally come about. And the book is a really good way to get those conversations started. You are one reader and one listener, and they are one reader and one listener as well. So having those sort of shared experiences of a book is a very powerful way to get to know how they see the world that's different than you. What is it that they gravitated towards in that book? What dialogue struck them? What character struck them? What I noticed about my older son is he really loves a side character. He rarely sees the main character as the most interesting. My younger son always sees the main character as the most interesting and wants a really, really robust main character. Now, he is not as deep a reader as my older son, but he is an audiobook listener. It is much easier for him to listen um, than it is for him to sit and read a novel. He enjoys nonfiction much more. He enjoys realistic fiction if he's going to read any fiction. And he does enjoy listening to books in the car, especially. So it is important to understand your teenager's tastes. If your teenager's tastes run towards horror and fantasy and dragons and Lord of the Rings and, you know, whatever and so forth, then you know what? Find a book that you both can read or offer them up the book that you loved in that genre. You know, your favorite book is a very interesting place to go. Now, obviously, it should be age appropriate. You know, we're not, you're not going to hand a 14-year-old the Knicks, probably. It's not going to not going to work. It, it'd have to be a, a very special 14-year-old who's read a lot of books. But at the same time, you could hand them The Catcher in the Rye. You could hand them the, something like The Hate You Give or The Midnight Library. Really being conscious of why you, you love that book so much. And also extra points if you've got notes in that book. I know my son, when he read my copy of, I think it was Catcher in the Rye, and I had notes from when I was a teacher, just all in the margins. <clears throat> it really was interesting for him because it makes, that, first of all, it makes the book so human, right? It, it, it makes that connection so visceral. But also because it gives them a guidepost. Oh, this is important. Maybe I should pay attention to this. Or I wonder why my mom thought that was such an important line. And with something like Catcher in the Rye, my favorite lines are are rarely the deepest. I think my favorite line in Catcher in, Catch in the Rye is sleep tight, you morons. I think that that is just encapsulates Holden's feelings so deeply. But I really love being able to hand over well-worn copies, dog-eared copies of something, not with the expectation that they will love it too, but with the expectation that this book has lasted and tell me if it means anything to you or tell me how it's changed or tell me, does it make sense for the 21st century in the way that it spoke to me at 14? Tell me if it's something that your teacher is reading. I'm curious about what they learn in their English classes or history classes. And I'm curious about the books that they're being shown. And I don't believe in banned books. And I believe that any good teacher can take any child through any book regardless of language or scenes or violence or, or what have you. I believe that that's their job is to help them navigate those deep, dark questions of humanity. 
and they're professionals and that is what they're trained to do. Um, but I know when my son brought home Persepolis from school this year, he's in ninth grade, that I was thrilled because a graphic novel of that ilk was such a hard sell um, when I was teaching to bring that to the classroom. And now it's here it is. It's still here. It's still a viable book. And I love seeing that happen. But I would also caution you not to jump the gun too early, especially with the classics. I know like a lot of you love authors like Nathaniel Hawthorne, Edgar Allan Poe, Herman Melville, these very classic 19th century writers. And it is a very hard sell um, to young readers without in-depth daily conversation about vocabulary, about historical context, about language diction. So they might not get it, which is okay. You know, we meet books at different times in our lives. You know, sometimes you read something too early and then you reread it again as a college student. You're like, oh, why did I think this book was terrible? It's awesome. I know I felt that way about Canterbury Tales. I know when I read that book the first time, I was way too young. And then when I read it again in college, I was like, oh, this is really cool. Because I had an understanding of language and poetry and historical context at 20 that I wasn't able to have at 15. Five years made a huge difference. And then flash forward five, 10 more years, I was teaching it. And then you're, you're even more um, enmeshed in the world. But if you are going to read a classic with your um, child, with your teenager, I would highly recommend reading one based, uh, you know, that has a movie. Like, if you want to show your kid Shakespeare, then guess what? The Hamlet that Ethan Hawke was in in the 90s is an awesome, awesome adaptation. A very modern world in New York that students will be, or teenagers will be able to grab onto uh, when the language escapes them. And I think that there is this desire to show them things that you felt connected to the first time you felt connected to. But there's also this one-upmanship where people feel like, oh, my son is reading Coleridge or something or Thoreau or pick a pick a canon. Um, and I just don't get it. Um, you know, I, I'd rather instill the love of reading than the right file of books that you've read. Um, because a reader who loves reading reads everything. I love that my two sons had varied tastes. And it allowed me to sort of say, wow, let me find the right nonfiction for my younger son. And let me find the right novel for my older son. Or know that my older son really loves science fiction and fantasy. And my younger son really wants that funny, humor, realistic fiction. And I need to be able to see them for their tastes as well. Because it, when you do that, we so desire to be known. To be loved is to be known. And if you hand your child a book your teenager, a book that you say, I think you'll really like this because you like X, Y, and Z. You're saying to them, I see you. 
I see what you like. And here's how I interpret what you like. And maybe you'll like this book too. Or maybe it's a book that the bookseller at your independent local indie recommended and we're both going to read it for the first time. And that's okay too. I want them to connect with the book itself, not with your idea of the book. And this happens a lot, you know, when you try to read the same books your child is reading while they're in high school. You know, I'm also not a big fan of it in terms of allowing them to have a relationship with their teacher that's outside of you. So if you say, oh, how could the teacher think that the bluest eye meant this when in fact the bluest eye means this, that's shortchanging their experience with their teacher. If after it's all said and done, you want to say, that's really interesting. This is what I always thought that that book was about, or this is what I saw when I read it, or this is what I thought when I was saw that book in school, and really start to think about asking more questions than just saying what you know. I'm always fascinated with what my sons see in these books, and especially in books that I kind of thought were a little two-dimensional. For example, like Ready Player One. When they read it and the movie came out, I was like, okay, yeah, I get it. Cool. It's a, you know, life inside an 80s video game. But then I listened to it in the car. Will Wheaton read it. And I thought, oh, this will be good. I'll put it on in the car for my younger son because he's really super into audiobooks. And then I realized how much deeper that book was than I thought it was going to be. And how I was like, this is great. This is a great book to be able to talk with your kids about and it, and have a common language. And then when I read Gabriel Zevin's Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow last year, which is to me one of my top five books of the year, spoiler alert for next week's podcast, and it, the fundamental metaphor and also plot point is centered on video games, I just thought to myself, oh, I cannot wait for them to read this book. But at the same time, it's they're still a little young for it in the sense of really understanding the depth of romantic relationships and platonic relationships that Zevin is talking about in those books. I think they will get there very soon, but not quite yet. In any case, what are your what is your kid into? Music, sports, theater, debate, biography on all levels is a great way to enter into a conversation with your teenager about books. Find a biography of the person that they most admire. I mean, one of my nephews is super into basketball. And this year for Christmas, I got two autobiographies of basketball players that he's very much into. And one is Chris Bosch and he, and it's Letters to a Young Athlete, which I thought, what a wonderful book to be out in the world. And the other is Giannis, of course. And that book came out last year or two years ago, I think, to a lot of fanfare. And this is a way for him to understand, like, the people you admire are also in the literary space. And you don't have to always be reading The Scarlet Letter to be considered well-read. You just have to read. And the 
last thing that I'll say is finding people who live in in their worlds. So, for example, Neil Gaiman and Stephen King, their social media accounts are gold. They are absolute gold. They're so many quick little things that you can send to your kid on their phones that show them that you're one, you're thinking about them. Two, you have a sense of humor. Three, authors have a sense of humor. And four, they communicate through memes. And these guys have so many great tweets. So my favorite being Neil Gaiman, one of the his readers, a young person said, hey, Neil, can I call you Neil? My teacher says, I can't call you Neil because I don't know you. I have to refer to you as Gaiman or Mr. Gaiman in my essay on Stardust. Uh, are we friends? Question mark. And Neil Gaiman wrote him back and said, yes, we are friends. You, of course, can call me Neil. And this was a viral tweet that went everywhere. And my son and I, of course, sent it to each other because books are our love language. Neil Gaiman is our lo- is, you know, a wonderful author. And but it's also this humor that's pervasive. And we are so much closer to these authors than we ever have been, as I've talked about before. And it's important that everyone understand how essential living in this world is to your teenager, that this person is a real, live, breathing person. This author created something in their lifetime. And it's not to say you can't show them the books that you loved where the authors may have passed on, but when they're alive and participating in the same world as your teenager is, they feel less alone. And when they feel less alone, they communicate more. And that's what we want, right? We want our kids to communicate with us more. And books are a great place to start. I hope you have a wonderful new year and that you resolve to just be you. And I'll talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Literary Sipper. I hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new. If you did, please subscribe and leave a rating and review if you're feeling especially generous. Until next time, keep reading, keep writing, and keep putting your voice in the world. It's waiting for you. 